Well, good morning, Sedaris. So glad that you're here. I hope uh, last week was a fantastic Easter Sunday for you, uh, a great Passion Week. Um, just know that we continue to pray for you and your families, pray for those people who are affected in our city um, uh, personally by the coronavirus. Um, and then we're just praying for one another, for our mental health, for our emotional health. Um, these are hard times for all of us, and we just want you to know that um, the pastoral team at Sedaris, the staff team, continues to pray um, daily for all of you. And, and like Ryan said, uh, we're just a phone call or an email away, and we'd love to support you in any way that we can. Um, would you just, um, as we enter into a time of teaching, would you just pray with me? Father God, we pray for our city. We pray for our first responders, our nurses and doctors, um, the housekeeping at hospitals, those in grocery stores and doing essential work. Just be with them, God. Give them energy and stamina. Protect them from this virus. Uh, protect us all, God. Uh, bring us closer together as a church. Bring us closer together as a country and a city uh, because of this tragedy, because of this trial, God. We do pray and expect that you will use this for your glory to advance your kingdom, and, and we ask for you to do that, and we ask to participate in that. Help us to know how to participate in the things that you're doing through this incredibly hard time. We do pray against the virus in the name of Jesus that it would um, be put to bed, put to rest, God, and that uh, lives would be able to be uh, restored and brought back to wholeness and fullness. Uh, and God, we ask you in this time of teaching, would you open our eyes, would you open our hearts to understand what it is you want to tell us about yourself this morning so that we might know you better and experience you and your love more fully because of our engagement and consideration of the word of God. So we pray all these things and so many more. God, hear our prayers. We bring those to you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So uh, welcome to this first Sunday after Easter, and I've been thinking a lot this week about one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's called The Princess Bride. You may have heard of it. Um, if you don't know about The Princess Bride, I believe it was made in 1987, uh, I'm going to spoil the movie for you, uh, but if you haven't seen it by this point, that's on you, okay? So I'm going to go ahead and, and tell you a little bit of the plot of the story. It basically starts out with a farm boy named Wesley who's working on a farm, and the farm uh, the farmer's daughter is, is, a, is a gal named Buttercup, and these two, they fall in love. But life takes Wesley elsewhere, and he must leave, and so they are separated. Their love is separated, and uh, Wesley goes on quite an adventure. There's adventure and evil and uh, good and um, death and life and love. Uh, this is a great, fantastic story, and um, at one point, Buttercup thinks that Wesley is dead, and she's going to marry another man, a man who is the king. His name is Humperdinck, and he's uh, just terrible. And, um, but it turns out Wesley's not actually dead, but in fact, then he does actually die, but then he actually does come back to life, and, and by the end, uh, they are reunited in love. Uh, sounds like a familiar story for those of you um, who know the gospel story, uh, a lot of parallels there. Uh, but the thing I love most about just the way this movie was put together um, was the way uh, that it's told. And, and the way the movie starts is that a grandfather is reading a book. The book is, um, <laughs> the, the book is actually the book. Oh, 
The Pr- Princess Bride is the book. <laughs> the, the book is Princess Bride, and a grandfather is reading to his young eight-year-old son, who is played by Fred Savage of The Wonder Years, okay? So this is fantastic. So the grandfather is reading to the grandson, and at first, Fred Savage, eight-year-old Fred Savage, doesn't really seem very interested in this story. Um, it starts with love and kissing, uh, and he's not really into that as an eight-year-old boy. Uh, but then his grandfather says, stick with it, and he gets going. And about uh, midway through uh, the movie, through the f- grandfather's reading of the story, um, is when it seems like the evil Humperdinck is going to win. And young Fred Savage says to his grandfather, Jesus, Grandpa, why'd you read this story to me? He's so, in- he's so invested, he's-, he's taking so much ownership of the story, but yet he's realizing that the story is not going the way that it should so that's halfway through the movie. You have a flash to the grandfather reading to the grandson. But then by the end of the movie, uh, what you see is that um, young Fred Savage is on the edge of his seat. He's, he's literally, he can't wait to see how this story concludes. And what is he waiting for? He's waiting for Buttercup and Wesley to be fully reunited and brought back together so that their love can be full and unrestricted. And by the end, he's saying, Grandpa, you have to finish the story. You have to finish the story. Don't leave me. How does it end? And this reminds me of how people engage with the gospel story. At at first, many people, and and this may even be you, and we're so glad that you're listening to us. One of the reasons we exist as a church is to help people consider the story of Jesus. But for lots of people, they're very reluctant when the Jesus story begins. They're very reluctant to even engage in the story. But then they get to about halfway through the Jesus story, and they can't believe how it's going. How, how could it be that Jesus is dead? He's dying on a cross. Um, and, and then we celebrate Easter, and we get to the part of the story where Jesus comes back from the dead, and people are so excited that now Jesus is back alive. But we often end there. We often end at the resurrection and I was just thinking this week, a lot, a lot of people are like eight-year-old Fred Savage, and they're wondering, is that the end of the story, just that Jesus came back to life? The, the story began with Jesus being with his Father in heaven and, and coming to earth, and then the story ends with him just coming back to life. Is, is that all that happens? And, and I thought of this question, I thought, it's a totally natural question for somebody that's just hearing the gospel for the first time, or maybe has never heard the whole story, to to ask after Easter Sunday, where is Jesus now? Where where in the world is Jesus now? Because if he rose from the dead to a new immortal body that can no longer die, then, then shouldn't we expect Jesus to be here? But I don't see him. Where in the world is Jesus? In these times, wouldn't you expect Jesus, if he's alive, wouldn't you expect him to have something to say about the coronavirus? Why isn't he on CNN telling us what his plan for defeating the virus is? Where in the world is Jesus right now? And so I think the problem is, is that we haven't read the part or told people the part of the story after the resurrection because there's actually more to the story. And so, and so like, like a little Fred Savage, we're waiting. What's next? What, what happens next for that full restoration to take place? And so what I did is I compiled 
all the accounts of the Gospels and the book of Acts. So the Gospels are a little biographies of Jesus' life. There's four different ones, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all write, they all knew Jesus and, and write about his life. They all take a little bit of a different angle and, and highlight different parts of the story based on what they want to communicate, but they all line up, but they don't all say everything. And then there's the book of Acts, which uh, was written to talk about the beginning of the Jesus movement and what happened after Jesus' resurrection. So I took all five of those books of the Bible, and I took all the sections, all the passages that talked about what happens after the resurrection, okay? And I put them together. I mashed them up. I got a mishmash. So I'm going to read to you all of those put together in one succinct narrative, okay? I need my glasses. So I'm going to read this to you, and it should be on the screen so you can follow along with me, okay? So this is after Jesus' um, life, his, his birth, his life, his death on a Roman cross. He was buried in the grave, and we celebrated last week. Then on the third day, he rose again. God brought him back to life. And then what happens next? What are the next 47 days that we have recorded for us of Jesus' life on earth? There's 47 more days that we usually don't talk about. So here we go. This is starting in, in, in John. So I've got John and Luke and Matthew and Acts, and they're all mixed together. But we're starting in John 20. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But, but, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, Mary said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will go and take him away. Then Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in, in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them all the things that Jesus had said to her. Now, as the 11 disciples were talking about these things that Mary had told them, Jesus suddenly stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they'd seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands, see my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That's everything in the Old Testament must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He presented himself alive like this to them after his suffering by many different proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now the eleven disciples went towards Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some still doubted. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Jesus then said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And when he had said all these things, as they were looking on, lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the sky as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and asked, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now seven days later, when the day of Pentecost, that's the Jewish festival of Pentecost, arrived, they were all gathered in one place And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as as they looked like fire appeared to them, and and they rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages as the spirits gave them utterance. That's the 47 days between Jesus' resurrection and when his earthly life ended and he ascended into heaven to be with the Father. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing because for me, I realize we don't often talk about the ascension. We often don't talk about these 47 days after What was Jesus doing? Well, he was clearly teaching the disciples more about what had just happened, about how it all tied in with the scriptures that God had predicted this and and what it meant for them and now what their mission was going forward. All of this is tied up in these 47 days. Now, what I want to show you is that this teaching about the ascension of Jesus, this teaching is essential 
the ascension is essential. And so what we're going to do is we're actually going to take four weeks to unpack why the ascension is so essential. Jesus is now sitting, the scriptures tell us, in the heavenly realm. And now, now you need to understand this. The heavenly realm is not just some place far out in outer space. So we couldn't just build a rocket ship and get all the way to heaven just if we wanted to. No, it's in another dimension. It's the heavenly realm. And you can read more about this. You can go to our series on Colossians where we talk about, a lot about this. We also have a series um, called Heaven that explains a lot of the answers about what heaven is now and what heaven will be when Jesus comes back again. But Jesus is now in the heavenly realm, and it says he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. He's come all the way back to where he was before he left. And what he's done is that he has now, since he has gone, and he said he had to go so that he could send the Holy Spirit. So where he could only be where Jesus was when he was on earth, when he ascended now, now he sent the Spirit where the Spirit can be with all of God's people. And so this is the ascension. And so two questions popped up for me as I was thinking about the ascension. One is, why don't we talk more about the ascension as God's people? And the second one, the second question goes like this. If we don't share about the ascension, are we sharing the full gospel message of Jesus Christ? Those are the two questions. The answer to the first is, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why we don't talk about this more. I think we've maybe forgotten that other people don't know the end of the story, that, that everybody hasn't seen Princess Bride or read the book. And so, and so we just sort of assume that it's almost like shorthand when we say the resurrection, we're, we're shorthanding for the resurrection and the ascension. But we need to tell people about this. People don't know about the ascension. Uh, the, the answer to the second question is, have we, have we actually shared the full gospel? I would actually say no, that we need to talk about the ascension and, and what we see is that the apostles themselves always talked about the ascension. When they shared the gospel message, they always talked about the ascension as the, complete, the completion of the good news. Good news meaning these are historical events that have happened. That's why it's news. And we're sharing about what God has done through Jesus Christ. So the ascension is essential to sharing the good news, the full gospel with the world. So over the next four weeks, we'll unpack four elements of the ascension and what makes the ascension so essential to explaining why it's not just good news, but it's the best news in the world. It's the best news that you could ever hear. That is about the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. So let me just give you a quick preview. And let me say this. Um, it's so important to understand that the ascension is tied with the sending of the Spirit. So all of these um, things that I'll share over the next four weeks have to do in part with the sending of the Spirit. Jesus said time and time again, I must go so that the Father and I can send to you the Helper, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And, and we need that Spirit in times like these more than ever. So we want to show you how the ascension is tied to the sending of the Spirit. So in the first week, uh, what we'll talk about this week is we'll, we'll talk about how the ascension proves that the full love of the Father, the ascension proves that the full love of the Father has been restored to the Son. And therefore, 
Any of us who by faith are connected, united to Jesus, can experience the full, deep love of the Father as well. Okay, so that's the first thing that we'll talk about. How the ascension proves the full relational uh, restoration of our relationship with God. So that's this week. In the second week, we'll talk about how the ascension proclaims the authority and the sovereignty of Jesus over all things. So the ascension proclaims the authority and the sovereignty of Jesus over all things because he sits now at the right hand of God the Father. So so if you're a fan of Game of Thrones, you remember how the kings always have, they call it the hand of the king. It's the same idea. If, If you're the hand of the king, it means you have all the power and the might of the king. And God has given all that power to his right hand, who is the son Jesus. So Jesus has all the power. In fact, um, we're going through and we're taking just a break now from 1 Peter. We'll actually come back to 1 Peter after this uh, message series on the ascension. But in 1 Peter, we read about this a couple weeks ago. You remember this? It's in chapter 3, verse 18, and, and Peter's sharing the gospel narrative. And what he says is, those who have gone into heaven or sorry, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Okay? So all of the, all the powers have been subjected to Jesus Christ because he has now ascended and sits at the right hand of God. So Jesus has authority and power over everything, including a pandemic. So I'll ask that question next week. What does that mean? For us. In the third week, we'll talk about how the ascension provides the missing ingredient for the disciples to fulfill the mission of God in the whole world. The ascension provides the missing ingredient for the disciples to fulfill the mission of God in the whole world. So Jesus said, again, I need to send you a helper so that you can finish my work in the world. And so the ascension actually is the thing that teaches us about how God um, provides that missing ingredient. And then in week four, we'll talk about how the ascension presents Christ to God's people at all times and in all places. So literally uh, presents, think about this, Jesus gifts himself to all who would receive him. He gifts himself, his personal presence to you, and that is all made possible because of the ascension. So he's not only present to you, though, he's also present to God the Father. So let me just read you a passage here in Hebrews 4, okay? Hebrews 4. Do I got it here? Yes, I think I do. Hebrews, yes. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It should be on your screen. Uh, this, This talks about how Jesus is literally now in the throne room of God, interceding on your behalf with the Father. So when we pray, that's why we pray, to the Father through the Son. So Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, that's Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
in times of need. So the ascension teaches us that now Jesus is with the Father, having understood what it is like to be a human being. And he himself, uh, this is important to say, is still a human being. So now there is a human representative in the throne room of the Almighty. And Jesus is that God-man who is with God the Father. And he's interceding for us. He's hearing our prayers and taking our requests to the Father. So those are the four aspects of the ascension that we'll look at one at a time, and we'll see how the ascension actually magnifies and explains parts of the gospel that, that we might miss if we didn't have the teaching of the ascension, which many people don't. So let's start this week. Are you ready? Let's start with number one. Uh, the ascension proves that the full love of God the Father has been restored to God the Son, and therefore, when we're united to Jesus, we too have the full love of the Father restored to us. Because remember, Jesus is in that throne room interceding for us. So it's like we're there with him and we can experience the love he's feeling from the Father. So we have full love and full relational reconciliation and it's the ascension that actually proves that. So that's point number one. Now, a good question to ask yourself at this point would be this. Why, why don't we know that without the ascension? Like if Jesus had just resurrected and that's all we knew and the story ended there and we didn't know that he had actually been lifted up and, and, and transformed into the heavenly realm, that, that God had taken him back into his presence in heaven, why wouldn't we know, why wouldn't we have the proof that the full relationship had been restored, okay? Well, think back to the Princess Bride. It would be like getting to the point in the movie where all the bad guys had been defeated and Wesley is now back to life, but you never actually see him reunited with Buttercup. Now, you could assume that that's what would happen next, but you don't have the proof. You don't have the historical event. You don't have the historical news, that's what it would be like. So, so think about it like a, a, like a circle or a big U. And I actually think we're putting up a picture of that right now. So Jesus started in, in his pre-incarnate glory. He is fully with the Father. So God, there's only one God, but he exists in three persons. It's a divine mystery. We don't understand how that works, but they're in eternal relationship. So Jesus, God the Son, was in his, his eternal pre-incarnate relationship and glory with the Father. But a choice was made, and he chose to leave and to come to earth. That's the incarnation. He chose to take on flesh. This is called the humility of Christ. He chose, freely chose, he didn't have to, but he chose to come to earth on a rescue mission. He came to earth, and he took on flesh, and, and it created a slight separation with the Father. And then he lived his earthly life, and he was still in communication with the Father, though it was limited from what it was in its pre-incarnate glory. And he lives his life, and, and you get all the way to the bottom of the valley, to the bottom of the U, and you have the, the cross, the crucifixion, where Jesus literally absorbs on himself the sins of humanity, and that sin necessarily creates separation with the, with the Holy Father God. And so that's why Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And on that cross, what you have is the Father abandoning the Son because he's taken on our sin. Okay? 
true separation. The son is no longer experiencing the love of the father. It's the darkest moment in, in, in the history of the cosmos. But of course, we celebrated last week that Jesus didn't stay dead. He didn't stay abandoned. The penalty was paid for our sin. Satan was crushed by the cross. And then that is proved by the resurrection. And, and God brings Jesus back to life. And that relationship begins to be restored. And now Jesus has a new life. But, but that's not the end of it. If he just stays there, we haven't, we haven't completed the circle. We haven't raised back up to the same level. And that's where we need the ascension. The ascension actually proves to us that the work of the cross and the work of the resurrection, the building back up of this relationship is now complete when, when, when God comes and hugs his son and brings him back into full relationship and sits him at his right hand. That's the ascension. So we've gone all the way from pre-incarnate glory all the way back to post-resurrection glory with father and son now reunited. You see that? And actually, as you'll see in the diagram, the arrow keeps going because the sun will get more glory as he returns to earth and restores all of creation as well and brings all of it to God's perfect ends. So there's even more to go. But Jesus has come all the way back, and the ascension teaches us. That's, that's historical news. That's already happened, and so we include it in our gospel presentation. So is that making sense? So without knowledge of that, we might assume that after the resurrection, the Father has embraced the Son, but we don't know for sure. We only know it's for sure once we see that Jesus has been reintroduced, reaccepted into loving relationship with the Father. Um, that's what I love. Uh, I read it in, in my narrative at the beginning. Um, it talks about a cloud. As Jesus was being elevating off of the ground, suddenly a cloud engulfed him and, and the disciples couldn't see him anymore. Well, that's not just like a rain cloud. Cloud in the, in the Old Testament, uh, in the Jewish scriptures, always meant the presence of God. And so actually the way I think you should think about that is that cloud is like God's loving embrace now, now wrapping his arms around Jesus and bringing him, like I said, into the, not just another place in the cosmos, but into the heavenly realm transferring him there. It's a beautiful picture of the father hugging the son. So I want to give you three illustrations that help this sink in, this full circle of pre-incarnate to post-resurrection and ascension glory, how the full love of God is restored. The first story comes actually from a story Jesus taught himself. It's the story of the prodigal son. So let me read that to you in case you haven't heard it. It's a famous story. And Jesus was teaching, and he said this, there was a man who had two sons. The youngest of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. He'd reached the depths of brokenness. But when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. 
And he arose and came to his father. But while, this is so great. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let, let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son. He was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. Now this is a great story. It's a story about me and you, but actually it's also a story about Jesus and the Father because Jesus, although he did not sin, he lived a perfect life. He took on our sin. He took on our shame, but by the cross, he paid the penalty as well, and the Father came running to him at the ascension and put his arms around his son, Jesus, and said, it is finished. The past is the past. The sin is gone as far as the east is from the west. The sin that Jesus himself took on his own body. Now imagine how different that story would be if, if we're just left with the son coming to the realization that he'd squandered his life and he decided to take all, all of his promise, all of his potential, and use it to build up his own empire to make his father proud. And you never got to see the reunion you see, that'd be like telling the gospel story without talking about the ascension. Of course you need the father running across the field, hugging the son to understand the fullness of God's love. So that's the first illustra- illustration. The second illustration goes like this. I like watching um, uh, true story uh, documentaries. There's a new one on Netflix called The uh, Innocence Files. It's all about the Innocence Project. And I love the stories of, I mean, I hate the stories, but I love them, of men who have been falsely incarcerated. And the Innocence Project works to, to free them and bring them out. And I just love that scene, whether it's in a documentary like this or in a movie, of somebody being released from prison, whether they've served their time or, w- or whether they have a conviction overturned. And, the, and they, they leave the jail, and they're met there by their family who hug and embrace them. And, and, and the beautiful thing about, I was just watching the other day in the Innocent Files, it's amazing to see the grace of these men who have been falsely accused, the way they come out and they're full of forgiveness and they just say, I want to I wanna live the rest of my life. But how now? Different would those stories be or those pictures be if, if when they're released from prison, there's no one there to meet them. They're just now required to try to earn their way. That's, that's not God's story. That's not God's story. Um, if Jesus had an episode like this, if you were telling the true story of Jesus' life, uh, it would go something like this. Um, first, it would talk about the crime. Now, actually, the way the crime went is Jesus was out with a group of his friends, and his friends committed a crime. Jesus happened to be there as well, but he had nothing to do with it. In fact, he was pleading with them to not commit this crime, but they commit this, this heinous crime. And uh, the police arrive on the scene and gather all of them up, including Jesus. And they take them all to the county jail. And they begin to interrogate them. And they're allowed to have their parents come to visit them. And Jesus' father comes to visit him. And his father comes into the room and Jesus is asking, what should I do, dad? I had nothing to do with this. I was actually trying to stop them. 
And the father looks to the son. The father looks to Jesus and he says, son, I want you to take responsibility. I want you to take the blame. I want you to actually say that you were the one who committed the crime and all of those other young men can go free. That's what I want you to do, son. And Jesus says, if it's your will, father, I'll do it. So Jesus goes in and the detectives come in and Jesus says, I committed the crime. I'm guilty. Those other guys, my friends, had nothing to do with it. It was all me. And so Jesus takes the penalty. He's sentenced 37 years in prison for a crime that he didn't commit. Shame is brought upon his name. Shame is brought upon his father's name, his father's reputation, his father's business because his son is a convict. Finally, the duration of punishment ends. The sentence is over. His chains are unlocked. He is released. He's able to walk freely out of the prison to begin his new life. Now, what if the story of Jesus ended there and he walked out of the prison and the father wasn't there? Now, you might assume, well, the the father actually told him to do it. He was just doing what the father said. Of course, the father would take him back, but you wouldn't know. That's not how the story of Jesus would end. If if Jesus was on the innocence files, here's how the story would end. Jesus would walk out of the prison and his father would be waiting for him there with arms open and he would say to his son, well done, son. You saved your friends. You took the penalty. Thank you for doing my will. That's the Jesus story. That's the story of our Savior. Now one final illustration to really drive this home. Remember I told you how Jesus had been full, full of glory. So this is Jesus. His glory was full before he decided to come to our world, to live our life, to die our death for us. And so when he chose to leave heaven at the beginning, he poured a little bit of himself out. He limited his ability to be in the full glory of the Father and full relationship and love with the Father. He put on the limitations of human flesh. That was in the incarnation. And then he lived his life and he was mocked. He was betrayed. Many spoke lies to him. And so he poured out a little bit more of his glory. And then finally on the cross, as he took on our sin, as he experienced full separation from the Father, And as he was laid in the tomb, he poured out the rest. He poured out all of himself until he was completely empty. There was nothing left. Jesus emptied himself completely for our sake. He was at the bottom. Nothing left. He experienced no love of the Father. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Jesus didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. In fact, the Father raised him up and brought him new physical life. His body was restored and he began to be filled back up by the Father's love. Now what you realize here is this isn't water anymore. 
This is new life. This is electrolyte life. Better, better than original life. It's new. And Jesus, by the resurrection, was filled. But he wasn't filled all the way. He was only filled halfway up. He needed something more. He wasn't fully restored to where he was before he began to pour himself out and took on flesh. In comes the ascension. Now, through the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus is filled all the way back up to fullness of life and love with the Father. He is full now with new life. He's back to where he started. But we only know that because of the ascension of Jesus, that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Now here's the great news. When Jesus is now fully complete again, he says, once I'm full of the love of the Father, I'm actually going to start overflowing, and I'm going to pour out that love onto you through the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus taught. Romans 5.5 actually tells us this. Romans 5.5 says this. Hope does not put us to shame. That's hope in Jesus. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us. So here's actually the full teaching of Scripture. Once Jesus is filled up, now he actually begins to pour out the Spirit and fill us up by his Spirit, the love of God being poured into us as Jesus is always fully replenished. Now, a perfect illustration would be Jesus' cup never runs out. He's always filled up as well. But we too can be filled up. The love of God is now, here's, let me stop, let me stop. The love of God, the Father, is now poured out onto us because we are united to Jesus. Jesus has been fully reconciled to the love of the Father, and now he overflows and sends us that love and pours it into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We know that, and it's only possible because of the ascension. So three quick takeaways for you for this first part of the ascension. First, um, you need to remember this. The Father was able to fully embrace the Son even after the Son had been stained by the sin of the world. Some of you need to hear this. Some of you think that because of your sin, God can never fully love you. You believe parts of it. Maybe he'll bring you back to life. But he'll never want to be fully engaged and intimately in your presence again because you've been stained by sin. That is not true. Jesus proves it. He took on not just, his, not just one person's sin. He took on the sin of the world. And that stain literally crushed God in the flesh. And now the Father can be in relationship fully with him. It's finished. So, so if, you, if your sin is keeping you from experiencing the love of the Father or full relational reconciliation, you're misunderstanding the love of God. Your sin cannot separate you from that. Second, God the Father can love us in our physical bodies. So, so one of the great teachings of the resurrection is uh, God can love us in our physical state. We don't have to become spirit. So, so the promise of Scripture is that we will all experience resurrection and have bodies like Jesus, and those bodies will be in the full presence of God. Just as Jesus is still human 
in the presence of God. So, so God and, and, and human physicality are not at odds. God and physical creation are not at odds. So the promise is all physical things can be in the full loving relationship with God. Some of you need to hear that. Uh, some of you hate your body. Some of you just want to get rid of your body. God loves your body. He loves all of you. He loves every part of you. He wants to embrace all parts of you, including your body. So some of you need to hear that. The ascension teaches us that. Jesus, in his full human body, is being fully embraced by the love of the Father. And finally, this. Um, finally, this. Um, we talk a lot in the church about the crucifixion, about how that wins for us the um, forgiveness of sin. We talk a lot about the resurrection and how that wins for us new physical life. And, and all of that is great. Um, but we also need to talk about the ascension because what the ascension wins for us is full relational intimacy with our God. Some of you have stopped short of the ascension. Some, some of you have received the forgiveness of your sin. Some of you have received the promise of new resurrected bodies. But some of you continue to keep the intimacy of a loving relationship at arm's length with God. Some of you need to embrace the ascension and the completed work of Christ that, that you not only can have forgiveness of sins by the cross and new physical life by the resurrection, but you can have relational, emotional intimacy with a God who loves you. You are loved by your God more than you could ever imagine. And he wants you to receive the gift of his love that he has purchased by the blood of his son that he has given by the sending of the Spirit. He wants you to feel that love. Don't keep God's love at arm's length. Don't be scared of it. Embrace it. It's what was won for you by the good news of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. Receive the love of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us. And we thank you, God, that you've sent your son into our world to take on our sin, to take the blame, to pay the penalty, to serve our sentence. God, we thank you. We, we don't deserve it. We don't understand it. We, we can't even fathom why you love us like this. But we say thank you. And we say thank you for raising him from the dead from proving that his penalty fixed our problem of sin so that we might be justified, that we might be in the legal sense cleared and that brings us then back into relationship with you. So we say thank you for that. And we say thank you for the resurrection, the resurrection that we'll experience, the resurrection that we get to participate in because we know Jesus and we trust him and we give our lives to him, and you've given us the Spirit. And also, God, we say thank you for the ascension, for bringing the Son home, for fully embracing him, for finishing his story, so that we see that our sin 
truly does not separate us from the continuing love and intimacy with our Father. So we thank you for all of it, God. And I just pray now for my friends who might not know that love, who might not experience that love. God, I just pray that they hear these words, that they know that it's finished, that they know and hear your invitation to come and have relationship again with you, God, that they would ask that you would pour your love into their hearts by the Holy Spirit. God, and if they don't know where to start, God, I just pray that you'd give them the courage to just begin to talk to you. That, that they have an advocate in Jesus Christ who sits at your right hand, who understands what it is to be human, who was tempted and tried in every way. That when we pray, Jesus helps to translate that. That we don't need to have the perfect words, but we can just start talking to you and Jesus will explain our hearts to you, the Father. So I pray for my friends, God, that they just start talking to you again that they'd experience intimacy again, that they would come to know how deeply they are loved by you and how much you want to be in relationship with them. I pray for my friends. I thank you for all that you've done. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.